Hello and welcome to Made in Progress, which is a mini-series produced by The Madecast in which we interview the next generation of game developers about the games that made them. So today on the show, we have Christian Scandariato, who is going to be talking to us about many things, including his latest game, which he is working on, called Floppy Nights, which is a deck-building, sword-swinging, tactical adventure. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Christian, why don't we start off by just, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a game designer. I'm a professional game designer. Currently the lead game designer for uh, Flappy Nights, which is being uh, developed by a Portland-based studio, Portland, Oregon, called Rose City Games. I am a game design graduate. I went to school in Full Sail University in Florida. I graduated the Bachelor's of Science in Game Design and Development. I worked in uh, mobile for a while in California, and then I moved to Oregon Development, and now I make console games, which is very, very fun. Nice. So I'm going to assume that you have been playing games your whole life. I definitely have. And this is not a, a recent <laughs> interest of yours. So if you can think back to tiny little baby Christian, what is the earliest video game related memory you have? Probably the earliest. I remember at my, my earliest and most distinct memory of playing a video game was getting Chrono Trigger for the Super Nintendo. And I wanted nothing more than to sit down and play it for the next uh, billion hours. But my parents had also bought pizza because for some reason this was like a big day. This was a big celebration day. And I really? was so upset that I had to go eat pizza so that I could, oh, no. and that I could not play Chrono Trigger, which is like the best conundrum to have in the history of the universe, right? To have to choose between pizza and a video game uh, at, at age, oh, absolutely. Uh, I don't know, seven or eight. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough decision um, as a child. <laughs> it's really a rock and a hard place. Right. <laughs> uh, I remember vividly. That's amazing. What other video games were you into as a kid? When I was a kid, I played uh, Super Nintendo was my console of choice. I had an older brother who had an NES and he uh, traded that for the Super Nintendo in maybe 10 or 20 games, uh, which was a killer deal at the time. Uh, that is a good deal. It was so good. And so almost all of my growing up was uh, was beat em ups and RPGs. Right. I would play. I played everything. that you, <laughs> It's still my favorites. Right. I, it, I would play everything that you could possibly get my hands on. Uh, that was uh, long and grindy and filled with words. That was my thing. Wow. Long, grindy, and wordy. That is an interesting set of qualities for a child to look for in a video game. Right. right. Between the hating pizza and the uh, and the wanting uh, really uh, deep and book-like games, I was quite a peculiar individual. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. Although a lot of games back in that era were very wordy and... Uh, were very reading heavy and very like a lot of time was spent reading. It's true. I uh, attribute games very heavily to like early vocabulary, right? Right. Uh, like teaching me weird words that you wouldn't normally come up like, me like melee or inventory, right? Things that don't typically come up in your, your average first graders English class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not. But you were getting all this extra education from video games. So much reading practice. Right. Uh, my parents were largely against this. They saw video games as a big waste of time uh, and were, were very, very vocal to me about uh, how it would lead me nowhere. And now I make them for uh, both pleasure and profit. I like to think that spite uh, really motivated me. <laughs> yeah, you really showed them that 
they were not a waste of time. Look at you. Right. Yeah. It, it all works out. Did you play a lot of video games with your older brother? Not as many as I would have liked. He, my older brother is uh, seven years older than I am. Um, so all, very often the times that we would hang together, uh, he was off doing like teenage things and I was busy getting into that oh, yes. uh, age age range. So we'd play more like quote unquote mature games. We'd play Halo together. Uh, we play Super Smash Bros. together. Were you super competitive together? Yes, and that's the problem. <laughs> I see. So I uh, I would have more time to spend playing games than he would because I was not uh, a young teenager. Therefore, I would spend much more time and get much better at the games and beat him uh, effortlessly, which would make him very mad. Oh, oh yeah. I can imagine that being uh, a point of contention <laughs> between you two. <laughs> you definitely you never want to lose to your younger brother in anything, right? No, that really seems like that is the the worst thing that could possibly happen to a teenager <laughs> is being beaten by your little brother at a video at game. At a video of all things, at a video game, it's the worst. So yeah. the we would quickly stop playing together and I would go back to my own thing. You'd go back to, to grinding and getting even better right. so that you could destroy him even more the next time. That's the deal, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh I'm guessing that your interest in video games did not end then, but did your taste in games change as you got older? Like, did you still find yourself preferring these sort of wordy, grindy games, or did you start developing new interests? I I want to say that I developed new interests, but it just widened it. Uh, I RPGs have always been uh, like have I have a soft spot in my heart for them, but the, the RPGs that I played as a kid don't really exist anymore, right? Uh, because RPG has spanned off into pretty much every genre possible. Everything has a leveling system. Everything has experience points. And the that kind of like super crunchy, super rules-based game is very, very niche now. So I, right. I with it, I spread out my interest to everything possible. I, I think of all things, I play first-person shooters the least. But uh, I also believe that part of being a designer is having a hand in everything, playing everything, and seeing the design trends yeah. of all games. Um, and for that, for that reason, even before I wanted to do this or became a designer, I was, I was playing everything that there was just to see what games were doing. Yeah. Can you give me more examples of some of those RPGs that you really liked as a kid? Oh yeah. Earthbound is my favorite game. Uh, I attribute it a lot to the reason I am a game developer that that game hit me in a very specific way, uh, to, yeah, it's a super unique game, especially for the time period. Absolutely. Final Fantasy VI. Uh, one of the best, uh, three six. One of the best uh, RPGs. One of the best stories ever told in games. I think still um, was was along those lines. And then like weird and obscure stuff. Like I played a lot of Lufia two. <laughs> I played a lot of uh, like Illusion of Gaia. All the stuff that you'd have to really search in magazines for at the time. Yeah. Did you have um, subscriptions to any of the the game magazines back in the day? Oh yeah, I had. I was rolling in Nintendo Powers when I was a kid. I, uh, oh yeah, that was the life. I used to send them letters in every single issue, trying to get something, someone to answer weird questions I had about Hi. games. Uh, That's so sweet. I don't. I'm not sure if this is entirely true. I might be Berenstein Berenzing myself, but I, I swear. <laughs> I sent them a letter asking what Raiden says when he flies across the screen in Mortal Kombat. And I gave them an example of what I think that he said. <laughs> and they wrote back saying, like, we don't know. Thanks for the letter. <laughs> okay, you now you have to tell me what you thought he was saying. I can't remember it. I can't remember now. It was something like, do you oh, have shit. my car? 
<laughs> yeah, something super logical for him to be saying, like, yeah. my car. while flying across the street and attacking you. It all made sense to my my very young self. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that logic. I think now that we've we've said it, and since there is no canon answer, that has to be the answer. That's it. That's that's the the truth all along. Although maybe somebody will hear this podcast and be like, "Oh yeah, I know what it actually is." And finally, end the mystery for you. <laughs> I I kind of don't want that. I I kind of want I want to leave that mystery alive forever. <laughs> okay, well, um, just to all of our listeners, if you do know the answer to that question, don't tell us. We don't want to know. <laughs> so I know I know you attribute Earthbound to making you a game designer. At what point? So how old were you when you knew that you wanted to make games? I I was really really late actually. I started to go to college for uh, business, so I, I was in a uh, business administration program, and oh. and yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was sitting in an international marketing class, which was the most boring thing I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, and I was quite literally falling asleep. And around the same time, uh, Bastion for the Xbox 360 had come out. This was during the summer of arcade. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, at this point, I love video games. I've always played them. And part of me always thought like, oh, it's just a hobby. You can't really make that into anything. I wonder why. Uh, but yeah. But uh, Bastion, the the ending of Bastion, which I won't spoil, was was something that uh, really really touched me in interactive fiction. It's I it did a thing that I feel that only video games can do. It didn't tell a story that like a really good book, but as a video game, right? Which is a lot of a lot of old RPGs are sort of really good books, but just video games. Right, uh, lots of reading. Lots of reading, but Bastion did something that I felt could only have been done in a video game, and it really opened my eyes. And I I transitioned from you know, I just want to I want to get a degree and make some money to no, I, I want to get involved with this interactive storytelling medium. I think this is important. I think it's important to try and be a part of this. Yeah, I definitely think that that's one of the great things about video games as a medium is that you can do different things by the nature of the way that they are interactive in a way that even a choose your own adventure book is not interactive in quite the same way that a video game can be interactive and it it really is nothing like other interactive media that way. Right, right. And there there's still there are so many games doing things that only games can do. Or telling stories in only ways that games can tell those stories. And and they're, they're inspiring. And every single time they inspire me. Um and from there I I quit business school and I went to game school. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's really what hit it. I like to imagine that you um you stood up in the middle of your very boring class and went, I'm going to go make games and stormed out. <laughs> I, That's what I'm picturing. But I, I'll tell you this. I haven't told anyone this. I skipped the final. I skipped the final. <laughs> uh, I, Good. I, Good for you. I, I stuck around for all the group project finals. I wasn't going to I wasn't about to sink everyone else because of my decision. But I skipped my international marketing final because I hated that class. And the professor sent me an, a really just righteously angry email like, how could you how could you possibly have not been absent? You need a good excuse. Come and see me. And I left them on read and never talked to them again. And that was my yeah. my moment of self-righteous uh, <laughs> of being flippant to that. <laughs> so in contrast, hopefully uh, going to school for game design was not quite as boring. No, it was great. Um, it's. It's still hard for me to recommend to anyone to go to school for video games because it's a very contentious subject. Um, I believe right. firmly that my going to school to make games was very, very good for me. 
for me as a person. It helped me uh, learn a whole bunch of skill sets about what I would need to do to get there. It it helped drive me towards a, an achievable goal. It gave me experience that I needed. This is not the case for everyone. Um, right. It, the the classes that I took ranged from extremely uh, useful, even to this day, like programming basics and level design basics to like complete wastes of my time. Like history of video games was a class that I took. Uh, <laughs> Excuse and, me. And I, <laughs> while I love the history of video games and I think it's an important topic, uh, the class was not great. <laughs> okay, well, the class was awful, but here, um, as a video game history museum, um, I am obligated to say that video game history is very important. No, I think especially that, for people who want to make video games. Let, let me amend. I think that people should go to a museum rather than taking the class, and that's that's largely the kind of thing that bothered me about game school. Right, the my history of video games class had four weeks of which we learned about uh, like Pong and then Jack Tramell. And then the PlayStation One, and then that was it. The end. Right. This is not right. not a good spread. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. By the way, uh, just just putting it out there, we're not paying Christian to <laughs> to tell you all to come to the museum. No, no, no. No one's paying me anything. I promise. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, part part of our our goal as a museum is is to get people to care about video game history, and oftentimes, even when it is taught, which is rarely, uh, it is not taught well, and it is really reduced down to here's pong, here's pong, <laughs> and pong is cool, and then okay, go make a game. Yeah, uh, <laughs> right, right. It's not really teaching the history of the histories of design or the advancements in technology that allowed us to do new things and exciting things it's not really teaching about like when internet was introduced to games or yeah that's important and i think i think part of it is that for a long time there were no rules and there was nothing to teach when it came to games because everyone who's making games was making it up as as they went along uh We've been interviewing uh, people lately for the podcast who worked in the the very, very early days of video games and creating new genres like all by themselves. And they just kind of were like, well, what if we just did this? And <laughs> here's the technological limitation. And like, cool, like I want to I want to see what happens. And they were really making up as as they went along. And so I think teach the idea that you can even teach video game design and uh, anything to do with the games world is is a relatively new idea right and i think it's it's equally important that uh new young designers new designers understand their history so they understand the steps that were taken to get us to this point right it's the same right. as researching any hard science you want to know everything that has been tried so that you can try something new or at least understand right. why those things have not worked in the past or how they worked in the past or at least the process of getting there yeah and and all art is you know, responding to previous art, and this is absolutely true for video games, is that everything in a certain genre, you know, is influenced by by the past one. And the reason that it is standard that we call it an inventory in a video game is, you know, there was a, a point where that wasn't a standard. And then all of a sudden now, every time you have things in your pockets, it's called an inventory. <laughs> right, right. And the way that right. you look at those things, the way the reason that buttons are green and red, right? There's a lot of reasoning as to why that happened. That started with we had no other option and it seemed good, and now we use them as heuristics. Right. 
So I know that you said that you don't always recommend uh, that people go to school for game design, but in your case, it was helpful. Yes. So while you were there, was there anything that you were taught that you kind of disagreed with? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, Thanks. It's <laughs> <laughs> what I'm here for. <laughs> there were there were things. Uh, we we had a lot of. We had a lot of classes about um, defining what a mechanic is, right? And mm -hmm. as far as game design goes, this is very, this is largely interesting in traditional game design, right? Traditional game design being uh, designing games as if they were older, not uh, trying to push the, me the medium in an innovative way. So, right. like, what is the mechanic of a visual novel, right? The compared to what is the mechanic Reading. of right yeah they, i guess that's the mechanic or like advancing the page but that's yeah that's dissimilar to the mechanic of super mario where like the mechanic is jumping right the core mechanic mm -hmm. is jumping um if for that reason it felt it felt very much like we had an emphasis on here's how to make stock standard traditional video games mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with this especially if you're talking to a room full of people who have never made a game right uh much, yeah. much of my my big speech about how you should learn your history, learn understanding the, the ba most basic functions is important. But that allows people in those classes to say, to make the leap that, or I don't I want to make video games. I don't want to make visual novels when they're both video games, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that, that's something I disagree with. Yeah. Uh, on our last episode of Made in Progress, we were talking to Kara a lot about video, uh, about visual novels since she makes visual novels. And that was one of the things that came up is that uh, visual novels are a good example of a genre that's seen as kind of separate from other video games um, as being very bound to that mechanic, uh, as being very much stereotypically associated with a certain audience that aren't gamers, uh, very much quotes on gamers. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That classification is silly. There's so many people that play games in so many different ways now. And then we, we pigeonhole it into, you know, only if it has a controller and only if you spend more than this amount of hours on it, that kind of thing. Yeah, only if it's Call of Duty. That's the only real real video game. That's the one game. I, I can't believe that there that are no is... other video games. Yeah, nobody's ever made any other <laughs> any other video games. It's just that. <laughs> so speaking of making video games, going to pivot to that. Can you talk about uh, some influences on the games that you design now and floppy nights in particular yes yeah absolutely so floppy nights is um it's like a spiritual successor to an advanced wars style tactics game uh and we're using you know advanced wars concepts very flat we're not we're dealing with height uh units that take uh one entire tile tile movement and we're trying to spice it up with uh card-based actions so every time you attack that's a card if you use various abilities that's a card things like that so it's a deck builder in an advanced wars and in that yeah i'm sorry go ahead no you go ahead in that uh i played maybe an entire works week of video games that are various tactical rpgs that have come out in the last 10 years to start researching it right mm -hmm. uh, i played the banner saga which is nothing like what we're making but has concepts of that tactical strategy sense right i played advanced wars ds the first advanced wars which was you know, uh, like left and right, we need to draw inspiration from that. I've recently played Fate Tactics. Uh, and I play Final Fantasy Tactics every single year, right? There's a lot of, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's a lot of uh, history to draw upon. And I played all of these things just to see, find trends, find strengths, and find weaknesses of what a person, 
what a player like me would be looking for in a tactical game and how to bring that to a different light with our game. Yeah, I think uh, that genre of, of tactical games is is definitely one that has had a lot of innovation and uh, sort of pushing the, the question of, of needing to keep it within that one genre and uh, elements that you can take from different genres. Um, I think of, uh, wow, I'm going to need to remember the, the full name of this game, but I think of 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. Yeah. Uh, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's a game that um, I watched a friend of mine play through lately, but it is a tactical game, but it's also a visual novel, and that had so many interesting elements of both that came together, and it was married in a way that I felt wasn't weird and didn't feel like it was trying to be either genre too hard, but taking really great elements of each of those genres and and putting them together yeah absolutely and it, we're trying to do something like that um or it, 13 sentinels is awesome and the the presentation of what it does and the story is like way out there i love it um, yeah the story is very out there <laughs> but it's it's that style of right, i think we're at a point with games now where we can start genre melding more uh, genre melding sorry genre, genre melding more uh in that we can put you can take something that's a little weird, like a like card um, deck building style games have really, really come out in indies lately. There's a lot of deck building yeah, plus X that games. Is what, that is what I was going to, you know, start talking about next is that's another genre that has exploded like crazy lately is deck building games. Uh, and that's one of my favorite genres. Uh, and so... Like, I, pl- I have a stupid number of hours in Slay the Spire, mm-hmm. which I think is just a really pivotal game in that genre. But I also, like, played Hearthstone and- for a long time and then gave up on it lo- like lots of people did. But <laughs> it's it's very interesting that deck building video games are something, and especially indie games, are something that is just really exploding now. Whereas similar deck building physical games have been popular for such a long time forever you know if we think about magic and uh you know so many and Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yu-Gi-Oh that have that have been really really big communities and yet for video games it's taken time for for that to to blow up yes yeah absolutely it's it's we're just now getting to the point I think Hearthstone's a great example of this we're getting to the point where deck-based game video games are doing things that would be hard to do on a traditional uh right paper card all the all the rng that people hate about hearthstone is i mean one of the reasons i love it is it's so unique to being a video game is is you can't have random stuff happen like it can right in a video game without having a book of text on the card itself right it's impossible to do (laughs) that yeah and i love that i love that that exists and that we can we can play in that space yeah for sure uh what sort of things do you think uh, Floppy Nights does differently than other games that are coming out now, or other games in either of these genres? There's a lot of the a lot of deck building style games are still trying to lean very heavily into the fact that they're deck building, uh, and what I mean by that is like Slay the Spire was an incredible game, and it really paved the way for a lot of um, ideas of building the engine. Right, you make a you have a deck that is, revolves around a very specific set of cards. And when those cards interact with each other, it creates a combo that goes infinitely or at least to a point that allows you to win, right? Right. This is not uh, unique to Slay the Spire. This is largely like any deck building game, even 
uh, tabletop deck room and use like Dominion. Um, we were trying to stray a little bit away from that because we're a tactical game, right? Uh, right. And so we've been having a lot of conversations, especially recently, about not letting the player have an infinite combo, doing our best to either limit that or uh, completely forbid it from our design, while That's also while also making sure that they feel strong and smart, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, That's very important to make your make your player feel feel those things. And it's it's extremely hard. It's so much easier to make an infinite combo than not. <laughs> <laughs> Having to actively work against uh, against that mechanic that is so common in card games to bring back the idea of a mechanic, right? And, and the the reason we're doing this is because we're we're trying to make it primarily a tactical game, but with card elements rather than the other way around. Uh, and for that reason, if you have a if you have a tactical infinite combo, there's no strategy to it. If you have right. one card combination that beats every map, you know it's it's going to be a very boring experience. And we want to try and encourage the player to use a lot of different stuff uh, actively. We want to build different decks and think about what they're doing on the level side rather than the card side. Yeah. So a little bit of a pivot here. So you have been working in the video game world for how long now? Five years professionally. Five years professionally. That's a while. Can you talk a little bit about your experience getting into the industry and, you know, trying to support yourself and make a living out of games? Because it is quite the infamous industry, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, I, I won't I really won't sugarcoat this. It is extremely difficult. Uh, it is uh, extremely difficult to break in. A lot of entry level positions require experience that you can't get without entry level positions, which leads to sort of a recursive factor of. You right, know, n- not being able to get a job because you can't get a job. <laughs> um, exactly. Uh, it's it's exceptionally more difficult if you're not a, a cis white male. It's exceptionally more difficult if you don't live on a coast. Uh, there's a mm-hmm. there's a many many limiting factors, and it's so so hard. It's not impossible, uh, but it, it requires equal parts hard work and luck. Uh, for me, uh, thankfully, I was able to go to school. I was able to afford a school, uh, and I graduated with my uh, with my bachelor's degree. But even with that, it took me, I think, a year and a half of applying to everyone that would possibly listen to get my first job, uh, which <laughs> my first job for uh, a an extremely small studio that was based in Florida working on a project that immediately dissolved. Fun. Right. <laughs> then that's, you know, it, as sad as it is, that's kind of how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that is how it goes and and that also is a learning experience in many ways. It was uh not a great job in in many many for many many reasons which I'm not entirely allowed to talk about. However, um it gave me I think 6 months of experience. Uh I I could put on a resume. I had 6 months of experience doing this and that and these were my responsibilities and this is what I had to do. And I was able to leverage that into my first my first other job, which was mobile, right? Because it, I happened to be working on a mobile game with the first company. The second company was a mobile development's house, and I had a degree, so they gave me the light of day. And I was able to take a test, uh, of which I passed, and they gave me a little design position. Um, nice. I was working in uh, for a match three game, and I was doing level design, big air quotes for match three, which was, which was interesting. Typically, match three is entirely random. But the, we were designing yeah. we're designing levels to uh, entice people to spend money. <laughs> As you do in the mobile game development world. As you do. Monetization design is a very large and vast and somewhat interesting experience. But 
um, that that was my job for for a little under two years. Did you always know that you wanted to kind of go off and do your own thing and, you know, be in charge? Yes, I I, I think no one goes into the industry without an idea. Right. Um, right. Everyone has a dream game that they want to make. My dream game was about six dream games ago. Uh, so <laughs> I'm I'm a little over that at this point, but uh, I, I there is every single person that enters the industry enters it because they have something they want to do, uh, and I think that um, that is both great and terrifying because it takes such a long time to understand all the things you need to understand to even start making a game you think that you envision in your head, but when you start <laughs> that perfect RPG that that eighty hour epic that no one has ever thought of that doesn't exist. <laughs> I mean, is there a part of you that still dreams to to make the the grindiest, wordiest game that the industry has ever seen? No, not anymore. I've killed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might be good because I mean, you have an audience of of one, which is you, but who knows how many other ones? I still, I firmly believe you should, if you are able to, you should make games that you would want to play. Uh, right. And because making video games is so so hard. Uh, at the very end of the day, making something that's fun to you is a nice driving factor. Uh, but as far as making the dream goes, no, I, I've worked long enough to know that that's not a thing. <laughs> well, hopefully you, the game games that you are working on now are still have elements of that dream and are still ones that, you know, you want to play and exist because you think that they should uh, should be out there. They absolutely are. They absolutely are. They, that I, as I said, I play Final Fantasy Tactics every year. I love that game. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm making a game that's almost nothing like it outside of being tactical. But the part of me, uh, part of adult me, looks at kid me and says, like, "Hey, look, we're doing it." And that's yeah, that's that's a good feeling to look back on. That is absolutely, and hopefully there are still like elements of of your current games that would also be exciting and fun to play for for little child you too absolutely yeah yep good however i do wonder that a lot of a lot of tactical games and even deck building games have a reputation a reputation for being hard and being uh the kind of games that you lose a lot and involve a lot of grinding um my win rate on slay the spire will prove that fact <laughs> does does floppy nights have those elements is it is it a tough game no it's not and that's uh that's like a core to our design of it uh rose city games our studio tends to make games that are uh that have a younger audience we design mm-hmm. for a younger audience and we we find that to be extremely important we're not trying to make a simple versions of video games we're trying to make more approachable versions of video games and in that i think that floppy nights is an extremely approachable tactical tactical game i think it it streamlines many many of the of the extremely crunchy things it gets rid of all some mm-hmm. of the math that people don't want to do it it keeps number num- yeah a lot of math in those games right <laughs> it keeps numbers low uh it's uh we, we're doing a lot to make sure that we we get folks to what's fun about these games in their essence without bloating a little too much yeah, I want to pick apart that idea of of targeting games towards a younger audience a little more. Uh, other than not making it them just simpler, like what are the strategies that that you guys employ to target games to that younger audience? Where our art style, uh, our lead artist for this game, uh, Marlo Doby, she also did the art for Dicey Dungeons. Uh, her art style is, is very very illustrative. 
uh, and she almost always uses uh, female protagonists and she uses uh, really bright coloration and uh, sort of like Saturday morning cartoon vibes, right? And through that, right, our, one of the biggest hooks for games is the art. When you see a trailer right. or an attract feel, you're immediately, you're immediately drawn to it. Um, and because we have an, a very illustrative style, already a younger audience will, will look at it and see like bright flashy colors and really interesting and fun designs. And here's like this plant that kicks things. Isn't that cool? And that draws them in. Very cool. I mean, I think that's pretty cool. I also think that's pretty cool. I love cactuses. <laughs> I would play this as a very old adult. It's <laughs> there's nothing wrong that's with good. that. <laughs> the idea of of using artistic elements rather than uh, necessarily like mechanical elements to appeal to to kids is is a great is a great way to be doing that. Uh, and obviously, you're using mechanical things too, but you're not you know dumbing things down for the sake of kids. And I, I think that. That seems like it reflects a lot about what type of gamer you were as a kid, how you really liked a lot of reading and grinding and like all these other sort of elements that we would not associate with trying to, to market games to kids at all. And so that's really interesting to me. Right. And that's important, right? Kids aren't stupid. Uh, we no, don't, they're not. Kids are extremely smart. They have a lot of opportunity to approach things in ways that adults typically have closed themselves off to, especially in video games. And for that reason, we're we're not we're just making it so that there's not too much information all at once at any given time, or the, right. the information of which you receive mechanically is not. Uh, it gives you space to be comfortable with it. Like if we introduce a mechanic in the very first level of an area and it has a new a new effect that is in its terrain, we give you that entire level to figure out what that terrain does and how to use it, with mm -hmm. pretty much no other danger. Right, the danger of a normal level. But it is all about like, hey, here's this weird tree and you're going to figure out this weird tree. And that's all you have to do right now. And we right. and we space that out throughout uh, all of our progression design. Right. Here's this one thing. And if you can figure out this one thing, you'll be better when it gets a little harder next time. Uh, and that's not this is not something that kids need, per se. I think this is just no. normal, good tutorialization. Um, but if you allow if your all of your information is accessible, if all of your information is digestible, then anyone of any age could appreciate it. And if we already have the hook of a younger audience and they are uh, approaching this digestible information, it allows them to enjoy what they're seeing. Absolutely. And also, you know, we live in the age of the Internet. You can look up walkthroughs and, and guides for all your favorite games instead of having to wait for the next issue of Nintendo Power to come to your door. Wait for those maps to come in the mail so you can finally yeah. find where that key is. Ugh, drove me nuts. <laughs> Some part, part of me misses that. I, I think I miss writing down notes on index cards for, for me to remember later if I'm if I was playing a puzzle game. Kids these days having it so good with with their YouTube tutorials. I kinda miss it, right? We had like things that were blatantly untrue, but everyone believed, like the Mew under the truck, right? Oh, absolutely. It doesn't exist. And you could look that up now, but I want I mean I, I want that magic back. <laughs> my my uncle who works at Nintendo of course. says it's real. <laughs> Of course, of course, yeah. How can I how could I have doubted you? Yeah, of course. But I think video games, especially in their relationship to children, have done this weird fluctuation back and forth that there's a lot of people who still really believe, oh, video games are for kids. Uh and there's some video games that are clearly not for children and are really hard to get into and are kind of standoffish 
uh, in a way and have like incredibly steep learning curves and like a lot of a lot I think of adventure games back in the day of in most adventure games like you were eaten by a Gru like that and that is just how it worked out and there was no tutorial there was just getting eaten by a Gru right and you would have to go through that situation and figure it out yourself and you were your hand was not held and at the same time there's also this weird stereotype that video games are for kids and to me to me that seems like they're kind of these two separate camps that either oh they're all for kids or they are not for kids and right and that that leads to you know video games are for kids but not the ones i play those are the smart ones for cool people you know and which is whatever it goes back to call of duty being the only game (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. obviously call of duty is the only game uh try to watch a kid play that (laughs) i I don't ever seen a child play call of duty never not once ever not not a single time no kid has ever played any call of duty game clearly (laughs) however we are running short on time so i'm gonna give you some space to uh plug anything almost anything uh you'd like to plug hopefully yourself and you can tell people where to find you and find your games and all that sort of stuff sure yeah uh i'm on twitter primarily my handle is at perpetual rain with an e at the end of rain because i was really really into being dark and moody when i was a teen i never got over that uh, my I do a that's design. <laughs> that's a mood. I do a design thread on Floppy Nights every single Thursday. I talk about the various designs of the game, where we are in development, and the lessons we've learned. Um, you can check out Floppy Nights at, at Floppy Nights. It's also on Twitter. It's uh, Advanced Wars plus Deck Building. It's going to be a great time. It's hopefully coming out at some point. Um, at some point. Hopefully. We will look for it at some point. Then. <laughs> please, please be aware of it. <laughs> Um. Yeah, that's actually really it. And Rose City Games. Rose City Games is the the studio that I work for. And very last question for you: What games have you been playing lately? I have been playing Resident Evil Four. I've never Ooh. played any Resident Evil, which is my big gamer secret. Oh yeah, that's almost like never having seen Star Wars. I know it's so shameful. I'm trying to remedy it. <laughs> so okay. Well, at least you're working on it. Right. Right. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Go and check Christian out on and his game studio and his games on all of those platforms and play Floppy Nights when it comes out. And on behalf of the Maidcast, I'm Leland, and happy gaming.